Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, May 17th, 2021. Today we are talking about one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. You don't need to have ever darkened the door of a church in your life to be familiar with this story, the story of David and Goliath. And this story gets referred to quite a bit in our culture at large. I mean, one place I think of in particular is when you think of the world of sports. You're not going to go long without somebody making a reference to David and Goliath in really just a general way of some underdog winning some incredibly improbable victory. I mean, I was once watching a sports center with a relative of mine who probably has rarely ever darkened the door of a church in his life. And the commentator made some crack about some event being a, a David and Goliath-like competition. And even though I grew up in the church and this person had hardly ever been to church, we both knew what they were talking about. Now, this person was a little bit perplexed when I said, oh, I've been to where that happened. And they wanted to know, how do you know where that happened? But you see references like that all the time. Even I think of one of the most famous sports movies, Hoosiers, where this small school from this nowhere town goes on to win the state championship. Well, what happens right before that final state title game? Well, the chaplain of the team reads the story of David and Goliath. And we see it used in the culture at large, but even when you think of how this story is often referred to, even in churches, it seems that sometimes it's basically just reduced to a story of God helping an underdog win an improbable victory. And what I want us to see is that this story is really a lot more than that. This isn't just the story of an underdog winning an improbable victory. It's a story of a young man who was zealous for the glory of God. And should we as Christians know that God is our help, even when the odds seem to be against us? Absolutely. But I hope that the main takeaway we get from going through this story again, as we read through the Bible, is that we today would be zealous for the glory of God. And so we're looking at Matt or First Samuel 17, first Samuel 17, and uh, it tells the story of how the Philistines and the Israelites, they are gathered. And if you want to know, hey, how do we know where uh, David and Goliath happened? Well, it says they that the Philistines were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephes Demim and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the Valley of Elah. And so you can find the ruins of these towns that it refers to in this valley, and you can kind of see what the field of battle was. And fun fact, uh, it's common for those that visit this valley to go down to the, the creek that runs through the valley and get a smooth stone from the valley. Well, if you go at the right time, you might just catch a dump truck refilling the creek bed with smooth stones, as so many people over the years have come to do just that very thing. But it tells a familiar story, and no doubt you are uh, familiar with kind of the broad details of it. 
Goliath is this Philistine giant. David is at this point a young man um, who's not really even a soldier in the army. He is there visiting his brothers and he uh, resists the armor of King Saul and gets five smooth stones in his sling. And he takes a stone and he slung it and he hits Goliath in the head and down goes Goliath, down goes Goliath. And then uh, David even goes and takes Goliath's own sword and chops off Goliath's head. So it's an incredible underdog victory. But there are a few details that I want us to notice as we read through. Uh, One is we think about Goliath. We know him for his large physical stature. He was a giant. Well, consider this for just a moment. Uh, Who is the largest of the Israelites, even when you think of physical size? Hmm. If we really go back to what we have already read, uh, we remember when Saul is anointed king, it talks about how much taller he was than the other Israelite people. Now, um, we know that he we, we, he does not seem to, by any stretch, be a giant like Goliath was, but he was taller than the Israelites, and they wanted a king because they wanted someone who would fight their battles for them. So I think one thing that we see that often does not get told in the story of David and Goliath really is the failure of Saul. Saul should have been out there uh, taking a stand for God, taking a stand for his people and fighting this battle, but he is not. He is sitting there listening to this for 40 days, it says. And then David comes in and it notes that he is uh, a young person. In verse 33, Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. And so as we think about that, we do learn some lessons of how God can use some unlikely people. God can use people that from a worldly perspective, you might not say, oh, this is the person that's going to win the great victory because nobody thought that of David. And it should remind us of what we just read in the previous chapter, as it reminds us as Samuel is anointing David the king, that he wasn't even Samuel's first pick, but God does not look at the outside. He looks at the heart. And that should encourage us as we think through maybe our own limitations in life that God still can use us. But the main thing I want us to note from this story is how it points out really the motive of David. As he comes into the camp, he is really upset. Look even as he starts asking people um, what's going on in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Notice it it was not David saying, all right, this is my moment. I got to capture it. I got to seize the moment. And and this is my claim to fame. This is where I'm going to rise up and become a hero. No, that is nowhere in what David says. What gets him upset is this man is defying the armies of God and nobody's doing anything about it. And he eventually says, I'll do something. I will trust God. And then obviously look at what David says, even when 
Goliath taunts him. In verse 45, David says to him, You come to me with a sword and a spear with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so there we see what motivates him is, man, I want everybody to know that there is a God in Israel. So this is not merely some underdog story that we should apply to sports in our culture. This is the story of a young man who was zealous for the glory of God and had an ambitious faith to go out and act on what he believed and what he knew to be true, that God will work to glorify his name. And he even says, therefore, the battle is the Lord's, right? And oftentimes we, it's very easy for us to take a phrase like that and just apply it to our own personal battles. And many times this is preached in a way to encourage you, hey, this, this will help you as you take on your own personal Goliaths. And while, again, I think God is working and he is helping his people, let's not miss the broader picture that what this was about was not David going out and uh, chasing his dreams or his goals. It was him standing up for the glory of God. And I hope that all of us are challenged and encouraged to do that ourselves. Now, it's clear that this wasn't the first time that David had been in a tough situation and had to rely on God. Uh, He talks about defending his father's flocks from lions and bears. And we know later he will have other difficult situations in his life. But we see the heart of David also as we look at Psalm 61. And we see that he knew that God was a God who could be trusted. Listen to how he starts in Psalm 61. He says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. So we see there, David, uh, him trusting in God was not something new with Goliath. And it wasn't something that ended with Goliath. This was the pattern of his life. He took refuge in God. He put his trust in God. And that is really what we see here in Psalm 61. So let that be another lesson to us that we don't want to just wait for the big moment to put our trust in God. We want to be doing that every day. And especially when we do feel like we're at the ends of the earth or when our heart is faint, we want to seek God. We want to echo what David says when he says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of of your wings. So as we consider David's example, both in 1 Samuel and in Psalms today, may we be people that are zealous for the glory of God and people who every day are taking refuge in God and looking to him for help. Next, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 24. And here we're going to see a lot about marriage in this chapter. And one thing we're going to see even at the beginning is one of the benefits of marriage, certainly not the only one, but one thing that is highlighted 
here is that marriage offers a defense against sexual temptation. That when there is healthy intimacy within a marriage, it is going to help those people uh, fight temptations towards looking for intimacy in other places. And we see a similar idea presented even if you think about Proverbs chapter 5 and how uh, this young man is taught by his father to avoid sexual sin by delighting himself with the wife of his youth. And this is in line here. So for those of you that are married listening to this podcast, maybe it is helpful for you to examine how how am I doing even just in promoting and protecting and pursuing intimacy within my own marriage. And for those of you that are listening that you're like, well, that doesn't apply to me because I am not married. Well, first Corinthians 7 is going to have a lot of things to say to you. And even Paul is going to talk about, hey, I wish that everybody was like I was. He is going to talk about certain advantages to singleness. And we're going to get more into that tomorrow as we look at some things Paul says later. But we're going to see there certainly is a, a value towards those that, that aren't married. And that gives them some unique opportunities even to serve the kingdom that those that are married might not have. Um, but we see here what towards the end, we get the idea of those that were wondering, well, I was unsaved when I got married and now I'm saved. Should I get out of this marriage? And Paul says the answer is no, uh, not unless the unbeliever is wanting to leave you. No, you should stay in your marriage. And he goes on to describe that this might apply to other situations. If you were uncircumcised, if you, if you were a slave, when you got saved, you don't need to try to change those circumstances. Live as you were called. Live in the circumstances in which God has placed you. But we'll get a little bit more even into marriage and even into some of what God has to say to single people here later in this passage tomorrow. We want to end our reading today in Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, where it talks about the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And I want this to just kind of be a note for us to end on that kind of brings us back to the beginning as these disciples, they see a vision really of Christ in his glory. And that might not be something that you literally see today, but that's kind of a vision that we need to have in our hearts that we understand who Jesus really is, and we live for his glory. We know that there is no one like him, and we are setting our hearts on him and on his glory. And that kind of brings us back to the thought of what was David really doing in this whole battle of David and Goliath? Well, it was zeal for the glory of God. And so as we focus and even read about the glory of Jesus Christ today, may it be something that stokes our own zeal to love and to serve God so that the whole earth may know that there still is a God over the whole earth and that all would know and serve him. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.